This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, welcome, FBC family, and to everyone else who's joining in with us today. I want to invite you to turn to the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at chapter 7 and see what Jesus says about the subject of prayer. We are walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this series A New Way of Life, and part of that new way of life is cultivating a walk of prayer with the Lord. And in these times, oh, we certainly need that. Fortunately, we've got a God who delights in answering our prayers. Let's check out what Jesus says here. Matthew 7 and verses 7 through 11. Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I recently read something by New Testament scholar and Christian statesman D.A. Carson that I just found incredibly convicting. Listen to this. D.A. Carson says the Western world is not characterized by prayer. By and large, to our unspeakable shame, even genuine Christians in the West are not characterized by prayer. Our environment loves hustle and bustle, smooth organization and powerful institutions, human self-confidence and human achievement, new opinions and novel schemes. And the church of Jesus Christ has conformed so thoroughly to this environment. Our low spiritual ebb is directly traceable to the flickering feebleness of our prayers. You know, I've had the opportunity to, to travel a, a great deal throughout the world and to interact with Christians in many different countries. And Dr. Carson's statement is not only convicting, it's correct. By and large, we are not a people of prayer. And so we desperately need the words that Jesus is speaking in this text what do we see here? We're going to look at two things. First of all, the willingness to pray. And second, the confidence to pray. First of all, the, the willingness to pray. The willingness to ask. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, in order to get anywhere in life, <laughs> we have to learn how to ask people for things. Many of us guys can remember 
how difficult and how awkward it was back in those teenage years to ask girls out <laughs> on dates. And I can remember going through this. I, I probably talked to my, my dad about this. And he was, he was a very bold guy. You know, he was in sales. And I'm sure he probably told me, well, dude... <laughs> It's just got to be done. If you want to go out with girls, you have to learn to ask them out. And then later on in life, we, we find out that in, in getting jobs, I mean, we have to ask potential employers. Again, we just have to kind of put ourselves out there and, and ask, which can be difficult sometimes. Well, why is it so hard for us to, to ask people for things? Well, one is that we fear rejection. Another is that when we ask people for things, we're, we're, we're kind of putting ourselves in a, in a vulnerable position. We're opening, our, opening ourselves up to the possibility of getting hurt if they say no. Another reason is because we don't like to, to humble ourselves. When we have to ask, we're putting ourselves in the position of humility. We're, we're, we're not in control anymore. The, the, the ball is in somebody else's court, and we like the ball in our court. Well, guess what? All of those things go back to one word. P-R-I-D. <laughs> it all goes back to pride. We like to think of ourselves as self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-made. Well, in reality, we are, we are none of those things. All of us need the help of other people in life, and we have to learn how to ask. But friends, we desperately, desperately most need God's help in life. And this means that we have to learn how to pray and how to ask God. He is the one that we most desperately need. And he commands us to ask, not because he needs to be informed of what our needs are. Jesus says he already knows what you need before you ask him. No, God commands us to ask because he knows that we need to learn how to trust him. And one of the ways that we learn how to trust God is by seeing him answer our prayers. And so we have to, to recognize um, our, our need to learn how to, how to trust God. Another great Christian statesman, the late John Stott, once said this, the reason why God's giving depends on our asking is neither because he is ignorant until we inform him, nor because he is reluctant until we persuade him. The reason has to do with us, not with him. In prayer, we do not prevail on God, but rather prevail on ourselves to submit to God. Oh, that's so true. So true. And one of the things that is at the heart of our prayerlessness is our refusal to do this. It has to do with our pride. And we have to come to the point where we recognize our, our desperate need for God. And, and maybe this crisis that we're going through now is one of those times when we're gonna learn that. 
Tim Keller was pastoring in New York City in the aftermath of 9-11. And he said that in those days, it was as if the whole city was going through a, a corporate clinical depression. And along about the same time, his wife Kathy was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And one day, as all of this stuff was just piling up, his wife came to him and she said, I, I want us to do something that we have never been super consistent about in our married life. I want us to begin to pray together every night. And then she said this. She said, imagine if the doctor told you that you had to take a pill every night before you went to bed. And if you did not take this pill, then you would die during the night. She said, you would not forget to take that pill. <laughs> you would take it every single night. Well, she says, with everything that's going on, I don't see how in the world we're going to make it unless we cry out to God in prayer. You know, sometimes it takes a 9-11 or a COVID-19 to teach us our need to, for God and our need for prayer. The willingness to pray. Second, the confidence to pray. Verses 9 through 11. Uh, Jesus says here, who among you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, Jesus here is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Good parents. Even decent parents delight in giving good things and not bad things to their little kids. And so Jesus here gives this over-the-top example. He, he, he talks about, you know, imagine, if, imagine if, if you're a mom and your little boy comes to you and he's hungry and he asks you, mommy, can I have a piece of bread? And instead of giving him a piece of bread, you give him a rock, a stone. Or imagine as a, a dad that your precious little girl comes to you and she's hungry and she asks for a piece of fish that you're cooking. And instead of giving her a piece of fish, you put a slithering snake that could bite her in her hand. Well, the people that were on that hillside listening to the Sermon on the Mount that day were aghast. They were horrified at such an unimaginable scenario. Well, Jesus says here, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, even the best, the most loving human parents, we're still imperfect. Our, our love is still tainted by sin. But you know what? God is the perfect parent that none of us has ever had. God's love is totally untainted by sin. His love is perfect, and he is a generous father who delights in giving good things to his children. So listen, quit looking at God as if he is some distant dictator. 
If you are in Christ, he is your father who loves you. But what if we ask for things that are wrong? That's a really good question. Because that certainly is a possibility that we could ask for things that are wrong. For a couple of reasons. First of all, we could ask with values that have been corrupted by the things of this world. In fact, the whole basis of the prosperity theology that you see so often on TVs, TV these days is, is, is absolutely a product of that. It, it, it all goes back to, to, to the value of greed. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But the health and wealth gospel is not about seeking God's kingdom. <laughs> it's about trying to build our own kingdom. So, you know, we could ask with corrupted values. We, we, we could ask with imperfect knowledge and that's all of us. Listen, we, we barely know what's coming around the corner, let alone what is off in the distant future. And so we ask with imperfect knowledge, but guess what? Our father's knowledge is perfect. <laughs> he knows us intimately. He knows exactly what we need. He knows what is waiting for us in the future. And therefore he knows how to answer I love what the great pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this. Lloyd-Jones once said, I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked and that he shut certain doors in my face. Well, amen to that, right? But you know what? Our biggest problem is not that we sometimes ask for the wrong things, (laughs) No, our biggest problem is that we don't spend nearly enough time asking for the right things. Part of it is our pride. Another part of it is that we simply don't know who God is and his character. It's interesting. In the gospel of Luke, when Jesus gives this ask, seek, knock statement, he prefaces it with a parable. It's in the 11th chapter of Luke, and it is one of the funniest stories that Jesus tells. And he tells it like this, Luke 11 and verses 5 through 8. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is tired, he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Um, Now, Jesus paints a scenario here of this Family And in the first century, a typical Middle Eastern family would have been in a one-room house. So just picture it. Mom, dad, kids, they're all kind of snuggled up, up together, you know, in, in, in one room. And it's, it's, it's midnight. And this is something that 
first century parents <laughs> and 21st century parents share in common. And that is when you've got little kids and you have finally gotten them to go to sleep, you want them to remain asleep for as long as they can possibly last. And so these, these tired parents, finally, they've gotten their kids to bed. The kids have finally gotten to sleep. And then there's this friend that's knocking on their door. And it's midnight. And a, and a friend of his has, has come at, at, at midnight and he's been traveling and he's hungry. And so th this neighbor feels bound to, to, to be able to give them bread and he doesn't have any bread. And so there he is knocking on your door. And so these parents are, are like, what, what, what are you doing? You're going to wake everyone up. We, we can't get up. We're already in bed. Go, go, go away. But because of his persistence, eventually <laughs> the father gets up, grabs some bread, gives it to him, and he says, go, be on your way. Now, this is what scholars refer to as a parable of contrast. The point that Jesus is making is not that God is like this friend who doesn't want to be bothered in the middle of the night. And so he just gives him the bread basically to get rid of his friend. No, the point that Jesus is making is that God is not like that. God is not like this guy who doesn't want to be bothered at midnight. No, Psalm 121 says that our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. And he is not bothered when you come to him in prayer. In fact, he is delighted that you have come. He is honored that you trust him with your needs. And he delights in answering. And his answers are always right. And his answer is right on time. H.B. Charles tells a story about a lady who went to a fruit and vegetable stand on a hot day. And it was a very popular produce stand. And so there was a long line and the owner was a super gregarious guy and he would he would want to talk to everybody that he was he was servicing and and check on them you know see how they were doing and things like that which made the wait a little bit longer and so finally it was her turn she got to the front of the line and she said to him I'd like some grapes and he said just, just hang on, just hang on a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. And she's like, here I am. Everybody else, you know, he wanted to talk to and he engaged and here he is. He's just disappeared on me, you know, and he hasn't, and he haven't, hasn't serviced me. And so she is waiting and the longer she waits, the angrier she gets. And then she sees the owner. And he's coming around the corner, biggest smile on his face. And he is holding the most beautiful looking grapes that she has ever seen in her life. He says, taste one of these. And she takes a taste and it was absolutely delicious. He said, I, I knew these were back there. <laughs> I just had to go get them. I wanted you to get the very best. You know, maybe you feel like that you've been waiting for God to meet a need or solve a problem or open 
a door. Let me tell you something. Our God knows what is best for us. And the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. Keep on praying. Ask. And if you're watching this and you're not certain that you have a relationship with God through Christ, the first thing that you need to ask is for Christ to be your Savior, your Lord, your King. He died on the cross for sinners like you and me so that we can be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. He is now exalted as king. Turn from trying to do life your own way and turn to the king. Trust in his love. Trust that he died for your sins and rose from the dead and give him your allegiance as your king and you will be adopted by the father as one of his beloved sons and daughters and you will have a father that you can come to with your prayers 24-7. And I want to tell you something. He is a God who delights in answering the prayers of his children. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you answer prayer. Thank you for your great love. And we thank you for the adoption that you have given us in Christ as your sons and daughters and that we can come to you and that you want to hear from us and that you delight in answering the prayers of your children. Lord, make us people of prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. 
I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.